When I say can you dig it, put your two hands up like that. Everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Can You Dig It, a podcast by SilverScreenAndRoll.com. I am one of your hosts, Christian Rivas, joined by Jacob Rude on a night where I feel a lot better than I did Saturday night. And that is because the Dodgers somehow pulled, like, came through in the ninth inning with only a two-run lead, and and I don't know. I, that was, <laughs> I mean, you don't really have words to describe it because it's one of the wildest endings to a sport, a sporting event I have ever seen. Like, I'm a n- neutral fan, and I watch it just like I uh, I was watching on my iPad, so I had the luxury of like rewinding in the moment, and I'm like, because nothing about it made sense, so. I like rewound. I'm like, wait, why? What just happened? And I rewound it like two or three times before I could figure out what just happened. That was a wild game. As a neutral, it was fun as hell to watch. I don't imagine fun is the word you would have described for that game. No, but honestly, I would liken it to Danny Green missing that three pointer in game five. I hope. We look back at it the same way as Dodgers fans. Lakers fans, Dodgers fans look back at those plays the same way as like just a haha, that was a bump on the road on their our way to a championship. It would have been like if Danny Green missed that three, but it was a tie game and the <laughs> Heat got the rebound and yeah. <laughs> three quarters court that like hit the back iron and bounced straight up in the air and then fell through. Like that would have been a, about a pretty similar um ending to a game. A lot of people have compared it to the George Hill, J.R. Smith situation. Yes, that's a um, very that's a much better comparison. But uh, we are a Lakers podcast, and that's the only reason I said it. Uh, but not, I feel good tonight, Jacob. I know it's it hasn't been a bad weekend for you either. This has nothing to do with Los Angeles sports, but because you humor me all the time, I'm going to give you exactly three minutes to give all your oh, thoughts. I, I'm not going to go on for three minutes, but <laughs> buddy, I use game on Saturday, had me going through a range of emotions. If, if any of you followed me on Twitter, you could probably see that I was going through it. I, at one point tweeted, I absolutely hate IU football. And I tweeted, I hate it with like, I just repeated that, and then I was like, but I'm going to tune in next week because I assumed the game was over, and then IU comes back, and I mean, I'm sure everybody saw the final play where the reach for the pylon, and my initial reaction was to celebrate, but then I was like, this is going to be reviewed, so I kind of waited on my celebration I when it comes to IU football, I am a pessimist, cynic, whatever you want to call it. I expected them to overturn that play. They did not. I ran around the house yelling because that was IU's first win against a top ten team since like 
I think they said 1987, and I am old, but I am not that old. <laughs> so that was the first time they'd done anything like that since I've watched, since I've been alive, let alone since I've watched IU. So it was a tremendous sports day for me on Saturday because I watched that, and then again, that was a wild World Series game. And then, I mean, tonight was a wild World Series game. This whole series has been really a wild series. It's a uh, I'm sure it's exhausting to Dodgers fans, but uh, shout out to Kershaw tonight too. That was a hell of a performance. I want this so bad for him, but also Justin Turner. Like seeing Justin Turner win one in a Dodgers uniform and what could be his last season with the team. I I, I don't know what he's going to do in free agency, but with the guys the Dodgers have up on their payroll or that, that are due bigger contracts. Um, don't know if he'll be around much longer, but I'm going to enjoy it while it's here. The same way I enjoyed the Lakers championship while it's here. And, you know, Lord willing, we get two Los Angeles champions in a year and it won't be the month. galaxy. <laughs> yeah. In a, in a month. Um, as somebody wanting all of the fun narratives possible, I, I tweeted this tonight. I genuinely want Kershaw to get a ring because he's an all-time great. Um, but it would be a hell of a storyline if – because I assume if there is a Game 7, he'll be available in the bullpen. Yeah. It'd be a hell of a storyline if he comes in and gets a save in Game 7 and then probably has a pretty strong argument for World Series MVP. If he, he – I mean, that would end all of the playoff Kershaw narratives possible. Um, I mean, probably not. You have the this was a sham of a season argument and <laughs> – Whatever. That has the same – that bears the same weight as it does in the NBA. This is a weird – they've spent, like, going on a month in, in Texas now. Like, they deserve a trophy just for doing that. Um, I do – shout out to – I don't know if you saw this on Twitter tonight. Shout out to Brooke Smith, who tweeted, Alex Crusoe will get the start for the Dodgers <laughs> in game six to lock down the World Series. Um, Worked for us. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I was trying to think after that tweet where Alex Caruso would play if he were a baseball player. Um, I kind of thought like a – I would think like a middle infielder. I'm that just trying to think. sounds I, right. Yeah. yeah, I would think like a shortstop or something. He just has that energy. I was going to say his reflexes, his cat-like reflexes would make him a fantastic shortstop. Um, But my son plays shortstop, so I will not remove him from (laughs) his natural position. I'm just thinking of Alex Caruso turning a double play and then doing the, (laughs) like, his little celebration after, like, a 6-4-3 double play. I mean, Turner and Kershaw have the headbands. Maybe they should do it next game channel the spirit of alex caruso <laughs> it's the only way to guarantee they get out and boy do i do i need this from them for my mental health for everything that went on in 2020 i i desperately need this um but we can get on to talking about basketball as hard as it might be right now we are in the dog days of the off season although with the reports that the season might start in December uh, start on December 22nd it obviously still has to be approved by the players union but if that holds up I am 
going to be biting my tongue talking about how slow things are right now because they will pick <laughs> up very quickly. Um, to recap, we have the draft in mid-November. I believe it's the 15th or 16th. 18th. 18th. Then, assuming the season starts on December 22nd, you have to imagine that a week after the draft, if that free agency starts. And that means I have at most three weeks of, of downtime. And that's without all the reports of who's opting out, um, the moratorium period, if they still do that. I don't think they should. <laughs> I, uh, it's pointless. <laughs> if they're looking for that quick of a turnaround, everything's going to be abbreviated. I doubt it will be a full week between the draft and the start of free agency because also they're wanting to start um, – they're wanting to start the season December 22nd. Training camp is two to three weeks before that. So you're talking early December. So, like, you would almost have to have free agency immediately after the draft, um, which also means the moratorium can't really last a whole week. So I think they – I mean, they basically had, like – however many months, four, four and a half months, where they could do a lot of the bookkeeping stuff that they do during the moratorium. Um, I know, obviously, there was the restart, and that'll factor into it, but I would imagine they don't need quite as long this time. But, uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting because if they want to turn it around that quickly, and it seems like the draft is kind of firmly on November 18th, and that's kind of the – the date to go off of after that, then they're going to have to do a lot of things really quick. So um, this might, <laughs> I kind of laughed when you said this is the dog days of the off season. Cause it's only been like two weeks since the Lakers won the title, but it, this might really be the dog <laughs> days of the off season. Cause it'll get crazy real quick here. Say a prayer for the basketball writers and podcasters oh, yeah. in your life. Um, but we, we last season we recapped, Every player's season very quickly gave gave out grades because you were not ready to talk about free agency and trades yet. I gave I'm you that. Now. We're jumping in now. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say I'm there now. We can we can but talk about it. What so what we're gonna do today to ease into it and to start off the week as we did last week on the podcast network is not necessarily go player by player talk about who should be back, who shouldn't. Uh I thought it would be a good idea to make the case for and against running it back. Because after the Lakers won the championship, I think the first glimmer of hope Lakers fans got of Anthony Davis coming back was a video of Quinn Cook in the locker room with Anthony Davis saying, we're going to run it back next year. And Anthony Davis replied, yeah, we're going to run it back, which is all fine and dandy. Any scenario that, like has Anthony Davis re-signing is good. Um, I actually thought Danny Green made a good, albeit a little tone deaf point <laughs> uh, in a inter- recent interview with Forbes. He said um, when he was asked about the prospect of running it back and keeping the impending free agents, bringing them back on new contract, he said, quote, it's going to be tough because we have so many free agents with 10 guys that are free agents Trying to bring back, trying to bring everybody back and reconstruct the contracts 
it's going to be difficult. But when you have the nucleus of LeBron and AD, if they bring back AD, that's pretty much what you need. You don't need much else around them. Now, <laughs> Danny Green makes $15 million. It's <laughs> an interesting quote, Danny. <laughs> And, uh, I mean, if that's how he really feels, the Lakers can fill out the roster with just best minimum guys this summer. <laughs> but um, That is a very interesting quote for one of the guys that is around them. Right. <laughs> um, but in all seriousness, I, I think he's, I mean, for the most part, right. Uh, I wrote about this earlier today, but I think the caveat with that is you need guys that fit Anthony Davis and LeBron James well. Like, you're not going to put non-shooters around LeBron AD or else you're just a madman. Um, so Poor Magic Jones. Yes. <laughs> I thought it would be a good idea uh, to make a case for standing pat and standing against uh, or, you know, not running it back. And so I want to start off with running it back. And I think if you look at the market for free agents and who's going to be available this summer. I think you have a pretty compelling argument for running it back. Contavious Caldwell Pope coming off of the postseason run he had, I think is one of the best available shooting guards on the market. Um, as was the case when the Lakers first signed him. I mean, at the time he was available, he was the best shooting guard available on the market. Uh, and I don't know if I'd give him the contract that the Lakers gave him the first time around. Uh, and I'm not even sure I'd give him like a $15 million contract, not like what Danny Green's making. But I think he is somebody you bring back. And if, if you have to prioritize free agents, I think KCP and Marquise Morris are the two guys you try to bring back and are most aggressive, the most aggressive in trying to bring back. Do you agree, Jacob? Yeah, I mean, for the most part, I would bring almost everybody back. So I was, I'm looking at the roster and kind of their cap figures. I mean, obviously, KCP is, I would say, well, aside from AD, that seems yeah. like it's obviously <laughs> done deal. I was going to say he was focus number one. AD is obviously focus number one, but I think winning a title pretty much sealed that for him. Um after that, I'd say KCP is the next biggest focus because I actually had this discussion. I don't know if you were in there or not. Would you consider KCP an elite 3 and D wing? Elite? Okay. Here's the thing. I've, I've gone on record this season saying I think KCP's defense was a little bit overrated. That being said, I still think he's an active defender, especially in passing lanes. Um, and he's mobile. He's somebody you can put in spot starters minutes or just straight up starters minutes as, as the Lakers did when they went to the bubble and didn't have Avery Bradley. Um, I don't know if I'd go as far as to say he's an elite three and D wing. Cause I mean, how many really elite three and D wings are there in the NBA right now? Like you could have made the case last season for Danny green, um, I think his defense is still elite, or at least it, you know, in a team defense situation, the three point shooting isn't there. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I like. I honestly, I can't even think outside of the superstar players that shoot the three ball well and play defense. 
I don't know if I can think of a like a role player that's an elite three and D guy. Yeah. So it's I would put probably Robert Covington as like the the top okay. of the list. Yeah. Um, my kind of hold up with that. I can't remember where I read it. Uh, who called him an elite three and D wing? I would probably. I mean, it's it's kind of semantics. I would probably classify him more as a three and D guard mm-hmm. because we saw the struggles he had against guarding wings like uh, Kawhi this season. <laughs> um, but I would say he's elite. Um, his defense might be, I don't know. Defense is, is always such a hard, it's so hard to quantify. Um, in the finals, he was definitely elite. Um, I think he played great defense on hero and Duncan Robinson. And then that was about as good offensively as you could wish from KCP. Um, but yeah, I mean, he is priority number one because it's just hard to replace. Even though you can basically plug and play shooters around AD and LeBron, um, when you have someone as good defensively mm-hmm. and is as used to playing with those guys as he is, um, that's very valuable. So yeah, I'd say he's priority number one. Um, Rondo, I don't. <laughs> I'm of two minds of Rondo. Uh, ultimately, I would probably say bring him back. Um, I don't know how many more times he can conjure up playoff Rondo. Yeah. Uh, but if he can, I mean, we saw what it did. Like, it put the Lakers over the top. I I mean, in the grand scheme of things, I would say it's he's probably not going to shoot 40% from three in a playoff run again, which I believe was the figure he had. Um I have the numbers here. He shot, yeah, 40% from three, 20 of 50 from three in the playoffs um, and over a three-pointer game. He's not doing that again. Um, but still, like, you saw all the value that he has. He's really, really smart. Um, so just that alone, he brings a lot of value. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be really interesting as well to see what the – how the free agency market shakes out because obviously the cap's going to go down um, to what degree we won't really know. And it's really hard to project. Um, but I just don't really know how much money is going to be available out there. So I know some guys are going to want to cash in on what, uh, on what they did in the playoffs. Yeah. But I don't really know who is going to cash in on some of these guys, basically. So I know guys like Rondo and KCP. I mean, he's a clutch guy. The Lakers have turned into a clutch team. Um, I would be really surprised if he left. Rondo, however, I could see him cashing in one more time. Um, But I don't know. I mean... He seemed to really enjoy it here. It seems like him and LeBron get along well. Um, him and AD have great chemistry, even dating back to New Orleans. So I would say those two are the biggest priorities um, this offseason. And 
I would, yeah. I mean, in general, I am in favor of running it back. Um, with the one caveat being, there's a a, a quote I read some time ago. This is de- related to baseball, but it basically said every off season you should change about 25% of your roster um, because if you just keep running it back with just the same guys, that drive isn't there. Like for a lot of these guys this season, the drive was, I mean, obviously it's to win a title, but like Dwight wanted his first, AD wanted his first, LeBron wanted to prove that he could do it in LA, stuff like that. Um, that drive, the, those motivations aren't going to be there this year. So it's if you just keep bringing back the same guys, it gets kind of stale and you don't really have anything to liven it up. So the argument was basically if you change about 25% of your roster every year, you get some fresh blood in there that have different motivations that can help spark the team. If we're talking NBA, 25% would be roughly probably four, four new guys on the team. Um, in if in that case, I would be for basically rotating out about four guys that were on the roster by the end of the season and running it back with the with about three quarters of the team we had last yeah. year. Because I think this is a really good core that the Lakers have built around LeBron and AD. Yeah, I, and when you put it in those terms, I think running it back makes some sense because let's go with that number, three or four. The 12, 13 guys you bring back are LeBron James and Anthony Davis. That's a given. Um, Danny Green, uh, Alex Caruso, who are the two other guys that are under contract as well as Kyle Kuzma and Taylor and Taylor Horton Tucker. Uh, Quinn Cook has a contract that's only guaranteed for 1 million. Yeah. Um, Let's say you bring back Rondo, KCP, JaVale and Avery have player options. So that puts you at 11. Yeah. Um, Then you have Dwight. And I feel like I'm missing somebody. Uh, Or Keith, maybe. Yes. Okay. Uh, I think if you bring back Keith over Dwight, then that's 12. I think that's, that's good. You go into this season with a really strong nucleus and obviously one that just won a championship. And I think the strongest case for a lot of these guys um, is that they're among the best players available at their respective positions. Like you look at Marquise Morris and his, his skill set, regular season numbers, postseason numbers was one of the best or we'll go into the summer as one of the best stretch fours on the market. If, if you're going to use him in that specific role, I think he's great. Um, there are, of course, guys with higher upside than him, especially on the defensive end of the floor. I mean, you have Jeremy Grant, Christian Wood. Uh, if you think Derek Favors is a four, then, you know, Derek Favors. But He is not um, having yeah. much him all year. <laughs> uh, and, you know, you have Bertans. Bertans is real good, and he's – you know, the best uh, stretch four on the market, in my opinion. But uh, Markeith Morris is, I think, going to be coveted this uh, this offseason. I don't think he's a clutch guy anymore. So um, 
bringing him back might be the biggest hurdle the Lakers face. Him and him and Rondo, because unless, I mean, from everything I've heard, just watching Rondo interviews and and you know his his quotes from throughout the season, I think he alluded to the fact that he could have gotten more money last summer. But Anthony Davis and LeBron James were like, buddy, we need you. We cannot do this without you. Um, so I think if he comes back, it's not going to be for the veterans minimum, which I think is fair. With the way he performed in the postseason, he probably deserves a raise. The question for the Lakers is, where do you draw the line with Rondo? Like, is it two years, $10 million? Like, which is, yeah, <laughs> kind of a lot for a guy Rondo's age and, and what he gives you in the regular season. It's a lot of money. Um, I think if they offer him one, a one year contract, they're limited to how much they can offer him, which is, is also another interesting wrinkle in all of this. And the, in the cap lowering is how they, how they choose to divide up, uh, their priorities when it comes to internal free agents. Generally speaking, though, I think for the right number, running it back makes sense. Um, well, I w- let me just add one more thing. Um, the Lakers are going to have also some a bit of cap squeezing if they want to use their mid-level exception right. on a new signing. I know Gallinari has been someone that a lot of People want or Jeremy Grant, um, whoever it may be. So for them, this is a little confusing, but that $10 million is the non taxpayer mid level exception. So the Lakers cannot be in the luxury tax and use that full $10 million. Um, if they waive Quinn Cook, this is all from John Hollinger in a in the athletic, he suggested they waive Quinn Cook and stretch him, which would be three hundred and thirty-three thousand over the next three years on the cap. Um, it would give you roughly about twenty-five million dollars from the tax apron, um, which then, if you use the mid-level exception, you're down to about fifteen million dollars to re-sign KCP, Rondo, and Dwight. Which, if you're doing the math, especially with the the figure that you just gave that gets real tight real quick. I think Dwight is probably going to cash in on yes that finals run and get one more big contract with someone. Um, so you're then left with about 15 million to bring back KCP Rondo and I mean, Keith potentially whatever other guys that you're looking to bring back. Um, I mean, Rob Polinka, despite what people said on Twitter last summer, seems to have a really good grasp on the salary cap. So I trust him to kind of do this juggling. But it's going to be interesting. If Rondo could get more money somewhere else, it'd be hard to convince him a second time to turn that down to come yeah. back because he already won the title. So I wouldn't be surprised if Rondo and Dwight left and they bring back KCP um, and probably Markeef, and then hopefully use that mid-level on someone and kind of freshen up the squad that way. But overall, I think 
I would be in favor of the vast majority of this squad coming back. Yeah, at that point, though, I think you're getting into not running it back toward territory, and we'll, we'll talk about that a little more uh, when, we, when we get back from the break. So running, back, running it back is an option, and I think it's a pretty safe option for the Lakers. The thing is, if there's anything we've learned about the Palenka era, and you can even throw in the Magic Johnson era uh, in there, is that they don't like playing it safe. Um, in fact, they played it so unsafe last summer that they went full galaxy brain and surrounded LeBron James with what Magic Johnson referred to as playmakers, defenders, and rebounders. No, you'll I notice. Don't remember that? <laughs> you'll notice the word shooting isn't in there, uh, which you know it's a pretty proven method to just surround LeBron James with shooters and see what happens. But hey, what do I know? I was not a president of basketball operations for the Lakers. I am just a podcaster and writer talking about the Lakers. I know nothing. You were roughly as successful constructing a team (laughs) as Magic was. I distinctly remember being, I was on a road trip um, with a bunch of friends from college. Uh, We were all in the car when the Lakers signed Michael Beasley. And I remember them just roasting me, like, what in the world are the Lakers doing? And I had no answer. I didn't know what they were doing. I didn't know why we were signing Michael Beasley and and whatnot. God, I am so glad that we won a title and can laugh about that now (laughs) because that was a sore spot for a while. It was – so the Lakers signed Lance and JaVale, and I tweeted out, what's next? Like, something along the lines of, what's next, Michael Beasley? Yes. The answer was yes. And then I I was in some museum in Montreal when that news hit and that tweet started getting a lot of retweets. And I found out it was because Justin Anderson, formerly of the Dallas Mavericks, Atlanta Hawks. He's, he's bounced around the league a bit. Sixers too, I believe. Um, he quote tweeted it and saying this man called it. And I was like, yes, an NBA player retweeted me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it is not as hard as as they made it seem last summer, and Ropalinka proved that by I think given the options avail available, pro- providing LeBron James and Anthony Davis the best supporting cast possible. Um I guess the big question when it comes to running it back is are the guys the Lakers have right now, the best they can do. We talked all, we, we talked a whole bunch about given the options, they're one of the best, like let's just say top five available at their position, which is, which is a good position to be in. However, assuming none of them are number one, and I don't think they are uh, because with Rondo, you have Goran Dragic hitting free agency. So that takes him off of the number one spot. And I'm sure I'm forgetting a bunch of people. Um, Dwight Howard has competition at center with Aaron Baines, Tristan Thompson, guys of that nature. Center is honestly probably the easiest yeah. position to find somebody at. Arguing that the Lakers can do better, I think is easy arguing the Lakers can do better given their assets and financial 
position is a little harder, but I don't think it's hard to get there. Because I think the Lakers are in a really interesting situation this offseason because they have, assuming they don't dip into the luxury tax, they will have their non-taxpayer mid-level exception, uh, which will be close to $10 million. I believe the number is 9.7, if I'm not mistaken. That is not a, a little bit of money, especially if it doesn't count towards the cap. Um, mm-hmm. That's good. The next thing, and I think the, the most appealing thing to me, and I'm, I may be alone on this island, so come with me. Jump on the boat for just a second. For the first time in a little while, the Lakers have, like, tradable contracts of players that have some value around the league. They have young players. And for the last time in quite some time, they're going to be able to trade their first-round pick. I think that puts them in a position to make a move that will move the needle for them in a meaningful way at a position, whether it's point guard, shooting guard. I don't know if they need to invest in the center position that much. Uh, And I don't even know what kind of move would be out there that would involve them trading, um, you know, the aforementioned assets. But if a guy becomes available in the off season, I think the Lakers have a package to get their foot in the door. And I think that package probably starts with Danny Green, Kyle Kuzma, and the 28th, the 28th pick, 28th pick in the draft. Yeah. So I guess where we where we typically differ on this is I don't <laughs> think that's much. Um I it depends on who they're going after, what type of player it is. It was interesting to me. One of the names that's going to be mentioned the most was is Victor Oladipo. It was interesting to me listening to the Hoop Collective with Brian Windhorse. I mean, Windhorse is a connected insider. Yes. And when they discussed a trade for the Lakers of Danny Green, Kuzma, and the 28th pick, he said that was too much. Um, I think he's probably in the minority. Yeah. The fact that – I mean, if that's considered too much, maybe I'm just not valuing Kuzma and Danny Green enough. Um, My main argument with – with those types of trades is re I mean, I was just frustrated with anybody at Danny Green shooting this season and then the playoffs, but he still is a supremely valuable defender. Yes. There's a reason he was always high up in net ratings uh, in the playoffs. So it's one of those things that the grass isn't always greener. Like, so I, I worry that trading him, would have a pretty big effect on the team's defense, which was their calling card this season. Um, I mean, at the same time, you could – the Lakers do have a, a gluttony of guards, basically. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how they balance that. I mean, strictly talking Oladipo, if it only costs basically Danny Green and the 28th pick, like Windhorse said, 
which seems like a crazy low price for Oladipo. I would do that. That seems like a risk worth taking. Um, but yeah, my main my main debate or kind of argument is how much it's worth actually. Yeah, that and how how much? Yeah, what what the rest of the league values that package because you're also basically trading for the right to pay Kyle Kuzma right. in a summer. And I mean, I think we all believe that he thinks he's better than what he is. <laughs> so that's going to be an interesting negotiation for any team. So I just don't really know how much that package is going to get you. Well, that's the other argument I think for trading, right? Is Kyle Kuzma is probably going to demand more than the Lakers might feel comfortable offering him. Um, not because, I mean, he's going to be, assuming the Lakers don't renounce his rights, he's going to be a restricted free agent. I believe his cap hold is only a little over $10 million, which if that hardship exception for Luol Deng gets granted, I'm not super optimistic that it will. Uh, but in the scenario that that $5, 6000000 million is completely wiped off of their books, the Lakers could feasibly keep Kyle Kuzma around on whatever number they decide on uh, and chase a 30% max guy. Now, the question for the Lakers is, is paying Kuzma that amount of money, however much it is, more valuable to their roster than, you know, say $10, $12 million in free agency in addition to a 30% max guy with LeBron James and Anthony Davis on new contracts. I think it boils down to, and I guess they really won't know until next season is how Kyle Kuzma fits into this roster. Um, If they're of the belief that this is Kuz and this is who he's going to be next to LeBron James and Anthony Davis, that is fine. I just don't know if you exceed that $10 million mark for this iteration of Kuzma. If that's the case, if, if, if they're not going to talk themselves into him being anything more than what he is, another team might. Another team that is in a worse position than the Lakers and looking for some upside on their roster might look at Kyle Kuzma's first two seasons in the league and the improvement he showed on the defensive end in the 2019-20 season and say, hey, this is a guy that can be our number two option on our roster. If you make him a primary option on offense, this is somebody that can get you 18 to 20 points per game a night. That's a guy that holds value in the league. Now say that team is Indiana and they're willing to give you uh, a star that is reportedly disgruntled uh, and, and will be a free agent next summer. If you're going to lose him for something, you have to, to imagine they hope it's somebody that they can have control over in negotiations and can feasibly keep around long-term if Victor Oladipo was just going to walk next summer. I think the value of that overall package starts with Kyle Kuzma because as good as Danny Green is on on the defensive end, um, his contract expires next summer, which – for a team that is going to be looking to chase free agents is great. But if you're a team that's looking to chase free agents, you're probably not making like salary dumping moves like that. If that makes sense, like you're in win now mode and you're trying to acquire players that can help you win now. 
Um, I'm not saying Danny Green isn't isn't that. He obviously is. He helped the Lakers win a championship. Uh, But he also doesn't fit the Lakers' timeline, assuming Anthony Davis is going to re-sign a long-term deal. If you can get your foot in the door with Victor Oladipo a season earlier, I was going to say Bradley Beal, but I think if you think Victor Oladipo discussions are out of this world, Bradley Beal is definitely out of range. That's what the Lakers have. Like, as even if you're sky high on Taylor Horton Tucker's potential, there's just no amount of salaries, prospects, or picks you could put together with what the Lakers have for Bradley Beal. Um, Jacob, I've ranted quite a bit. I think I've made my case. Um, and now I'd like to hear your thoughts. So the, the point you made, I think that could be the reason the Lakers trade Kuzma, um, is that they don't, they, I mean, they've almost certainly had some type of discussion with Kuzma and his agent about an extension just to get ballpark figures. If they're coming in with a ballpark figure that isn't close to your ballpark figure, um, it might, it would probably be in their best interest to try to trade him this summer. Um, with some small market teams, that may be the best way for them to attract that type of talent. I mean, we saw what Kuzma can do when he's given the load as a score. Yes. Um, he was really good at times with, uh, with those young Laker teams. And even like, even this season, if you look at his starters numbers during the regular season, they're really good when he's the number two option and feels like his shots are falling and he's confident. I, I think he's a legitimate number two option in this league, but go on. I don't I don't disagree too much. Like he he can fill it up. Um and I would sense that he's probably gonna ask more than what the Lakers are willing to pay a guy who barring a huge season next year isn't going to be the third star. He's really not gonna be anything other than a role player on these Laker teams. Um, which is fine. Like he was a good role player. I thought he played really well during the the playoffs. But so that's your biggest argument for trading him is that you don't feel you're going to be able to pay him. But at the same time, those other teams are going to have those same reservations. Um, so it's really a situation where you have to find a team with the right situation Um that doesn't feel like they can land free agents and sees Kuzma as the type of guy that they need that they don't have. Yeah. A lot of those things that those qualifiers apply to Indiana. Um, shockingly, Indiana is not a hot spot free agent destination. As a lifelong Indiana resident, I can explain to you why. Um, so, Maybe they see Kuzma as the type of guy that can um, not necessarily put them over the top, but a type of wing player that they wouldn't be able to get otherwise. Um, but it's it's a very specific type of situation that you're looking at. Um, 
I think the other thing when you talk about these trades is that I would imagine somebody is going to give Indiana a better offer than Danny Green Kuzma in the 28th pick. And that's going to be the case for a lot of these teams that they may look at trade offers for. And really, I mean, I'm trying to look at some of these teams um, right now and just trying to think of some of the players that they would even be interested in trading for. Um, and there aren't really many teams, kind of small market teams, that would be willing to listen um, to offers. I mean, maybe there's some type of argument to piecing together a bunch of contracts and trading for Chris Paul. Um, that would be a situation where Oklahoma City is probably just looking for small – not not huge assets, basically. Yeah. Because he has so much money. His contract lines up with LeBron's, assuming that LeBron picks up his player option. Um, that feels more like a move the Lakers would have made if they didn't win the title. Right. Um, I don't know about – because you're going to have to piece together a lot of contracts to equal up to the money. Literally the entire roster. <laughs> yeah. It's like four or five guys. I did it once just to see if it was possible. It's a lot of guys. Um, it's going to, it's just an interesting kind of thought experiment to try to even see who's available on the market. Cause there's, this is just going to be a really odd free agency time too, or off season, I guess, um, to try to, to navigate. Cause there's the money's going to be so weird. Um, with the cap going down and whatnot. So, I mean, in a sense, maybe that makes guys like Kuzma and Danny Green more valuable because those types of players aren't on the market. I mean, at his best, Danny Green is an elite 3D wing. Yeah. He wasn't at his best last season. So maybe the argument you make a, a team can make is that they trade for Danny Green now and then flip him at the trade deadline. Um, but – Ultimately, I mean that's a big risk. I just this all it all that's my main argument is that it all just feels like a a oh, big yeah. risk for a team that just won a title and really a shakeup that isn't necessary. It, you have a core that played really well together, mm-hmm. really enjoys being around each other. Um, it's a risk to trade multiple pieces of that core and bring in someone new that may not fit as fit as well. Um, it's nice to think about Victor Oladipo, but the Oladipo that played this season was a far, far cry from the All-Star version. Um, so is it worth trading arguably your best wing defender as well as I mean, Kuzma was one of the better role players throughout the most of the season. Yeah. And honestly, another wing defender, two of your handful of wing defenders for a guy that had a really serious leg injury, what, a year and a half ago? Um, I Yeah, it, it's an interesting one. I'm a huge Oladipo fan. Honestly, if he was straight into the Lakers, I would probably buy an Oladipo jersey right away. But – I just don't know if it's a worthwhile risk. I'm, so I am of 
a similar mindset. And for that reason, I think the, I guess, solution I'll settle on and what I ultimately think they'll end up doing is the moves, assuming the Pacers don't trade Oladipo right away and assuming the guys, the Lakers want to target or are are monitoring right now are going to be available during the season. I think they probably bring most of the guys back. And if there is movement at all next season, it'll probably be right before the trade deadline. Cause at that point you can say, we got to look at Kyle Kuzma with another summer under him and how he fits with LeBron James and Kyle and, and Anthony Davis. Uh, is he knocking down his open three-pointers at an especially high rate? Is he somebody that could feasibly long-term be that sixth man off the bench, especially if Rajon Rondo's not going to be there and you need somebody that can handle the ball off of the bench? Um, maybe giving him more responsibilities as a ball handler. And, and you notice a, a lot of things, uh, opportunities for Kuzma to prove that he has a future with the Lakers and that he's going to be worth whatever investment they can make in him. Danny Green, you can give him some benefit of the doubt, had just come off of a championship run with the Toronto Raptors and immediately after that went to play a year of basketball. Um, Maybe he has a bounce back season and maybe he's a guy that the Lakers want to bring back on a smaller contract the following summer if he isn't ready to hang it up by then. Um, I think there are cases for all of the guys on the roster to be made. Uh, And I think those cases coupled with the fact that they just won a championship with this nucleus is ultimately going to lead to them bringing everybody back. I think if there is going to be movement and I, I have to imagine there will be just to your point about shuffling things up to keep things interesting. I imagine it'll probably be during the season. Yeah, I would imagine – I would agree on that. Uh, the trade deadline, I think the Lakers are going to be pretty active because between Avery Bradley, Danny Green, JaVale, um, potentially Quinn Cook, those are all expiring deals um, of not insignificant value that they can – either trade individually or package together to, to get a piece that um, is an impact player. They'll have who potentially have whoever they draft 28th this year. Um, they'll have some second round picks. They'll have THT if they need to, things like that of value that um, they can trade for to try to make an impact. But yeah, ultimately I think the team more or less the guys you mentioned earlier, I it sure sounds like Jared Dudley's coming back. Um, <laughs> so throw him into that group. I don't think you mentioned him. And then you're looking at filling in the spots of maybe Quinn Cook, Dion, J.R. Smith. Incoming. Yeah, and a rookie. Pick. Yeah, yeah, we didn't even factor that in. So you're really only looking to feel about three, maybe four spots. So – if you get someone with um, the mid-level and then a couple veteran minimum guys. They're the biannual, um, too. Yeah. So I it, imagine that'll be used and somewhere. I, I, 
the Lakers could just potentially, if they really just want to bring this team, this iteration of this yes. team back, they could use the mid-level. It doesn't all have to be used on one player. Correct, yeah. Use pieces of the mid level to bring back Dwight, bring back Rondo, potentially bring back KCP, things like that. So there are ways for them to just bring literally the whole roster back. I I mean, maybe that's the argument you make because maybe the offseason spent talking about how this isn't a real title for the Lakers and LeBron because it was in the bubble and whatnot. And maybe that's motivation enough. Um, to win another one, I don't, I, I don't know, but I mean, this group did seem really close, so maybe that alone is argument enough to bring it back. But um, it's going to be interesting to see how this team move, moves forward because really, it doesn't feel like anybody other than LeBron or AD is a guarantee. Maybe Caruso to be on this team next season. Other than that, I would say almost everybody's. Um, up in the air in some yep. way or another to to move uh, to be moved over this summer. Well, I say summer, but <laughs> Harrison made that mistake on the Silver Screen and Roll account the other day. Said things could change this summer. It's like really, this summer's well, past. <laughs> yeah, they already did. It's uh, yeah, we're into the. I guess we can just call it the fall instead of the summer. Yeah, um, we are far past things being weird and changing uh jacob thank you so much for talking about free agency and trades with me uh is there something you'd like to say before we go i need your prediction on the dodgers in uh, the world series <laughs> well as we all know game six is probably going to be a bullpen game and the Dodgers, historically speaking, <laughs> don't manage their bullpen well in the postseason. Um, I say the Dodgers when I really mean Dave Roberts. He scared the life out of me when he took Kershaw out a little too early. Um, and especially when he put Trinan in to close the game. Good Lord. I was horrified. Shout out to Dustin May for uh, stepping up the way he did because he's been god-awful, uh, at least in the postseason. So, um, I don't know. If, if the Dodgers' bats have it going like they have, and if Corey Seager, you guys can't see it, but this man right here, if Corey Seager keeps slugging and raking the way he has, um, I don't know. Let's say the optimist in me says Dodgers in six, just like the Lakers. Sometimes you need that extra game, make a little more than a gentleman's sweep. Uh, so, yeah, let's go Dodgers in six. So my first thing would be, you said you were terrified when Trident came in. Would, honestly, would there have been anybody you wouldn't have been terrified if they came in at that point? Uh, I was fine with Victor Gonzalez. Like, I was fine letting him close out the game. Um, I'll tell you what, I think I would have just died straight on my couch if they, I saw Kenley Jansen walk to the mound. <laughs> and uh, you know what scares me even more? is the thought of the Dodgers playing well in game six and Dave Roberts wanting to give either Kenley or Kershaw the save as like some symbolic move as a, as a coach and everything they've given the organization and then them just falling flat on their face. (laughs) Like it would have to be a 12 run, like a 12 run lead for me to feel comfortable with Dave getting all sentimental and bringing those guys in. Cause 
I don't know about you, but I I want to I want to see the Dodgers win the World Series. Like all that <laughs> stuff is nice. Clayton Kershaw getting the win today is awesome. Good for him. I would like a World Series. We're past the sentimental stuff. There's nothing more sentimental to me personally than seeing Clayton Kershaw with a World Series <laughs> trophy in his hand. It's pretty sentimental to see Kershaw holding up a World Series trophy. <laughs> uh, I originally said before the series started, Dodgers and six. I will stick by that. Although, yeah, a bullpen game for the Dodgers in the playoffs <laughs> is about the least certain thing you could imagine. But we are even worst case, yeah, even worst case scenario, you have Bueller in Game Seven with Kershaw available out of the bullpen, probably your two best pitchers. So, as two. a as a neutral, I would say Dodgers fans should be pretty optimistic right now. To use a line from my good friend Kendrew Obweg, who repurposed the line from the Warriors, we believe. And that is where I will end today's <laughs> podcast. Thank you all for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to subscribe on Google Podcasts, Stitcher, uh, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. We have a lot of fun doing the show. Uh, and I promise once baseball season is over, we will stop alienating our fan base talking about <laughs> baseball and alienating our fan base talking about UEFA Champions League soccer instead. Thanks, guys. We'll see you.